0: If you look in your bulletin, and you will find the message about Christmas Eve, that there's a change from last week. Last week we announced that we would have our Christmas Eve service at 5.30. We're going to have it at 5 p.m. Okay? 5 p.m. for the Christmas Eve service. So please be aware of that. That is a change from where we've been uh, the last few years with the start of that. And I hope you come. I hope you invite somebody to come and join us on that evening and that you're blessed by it. I, I, there are lots of people who are putting lots of work into that event and uh, I think you'll be greatly blessed if you come on Christmas Eve at 5 p.m. If if we have it at 5 p.m., there'll be lots of time for you to spend the rest of the evening with your family if you have a family event going on. Along with things that are happening this time of year, we have uh, the opportunity to participate again, as we've done in years past, in Christmas hampers for some needy families. We have four families that we've identified that we're going to help this year. Three of those are from the schools that we take the brown bag lunches to. So when we take the lunches, we go in and we say you know, are, are the families that we're helping, uh, maybe in need of something at Christmas time. And so we've got three of those families. And then we have another family that Darcy and Hope Pollock have been helping with for quite some time, an immigrant family from Tanzania. They were in a refugee camp for 15 years and lived under a piece of plastic for 15 years. They ate the, they ate the same thing every day for 15 years. And uh, they've come now to Canada, and Darcy and Hope have been working with them for a while, and we're going to have a chance to bless them as well uh, at this Christmas season. So here's the way it works as far as the Christmas hampers. On the wall outside in the foyer, between the two monitors, you will find a bunch of pieces of paper stuck to the wall. And if you would like to help, all you have to do is go and grab one of those, and then on the piece of paper that's on the table, sign down your family's name uh, next to what it is that you chose off the wall to do. And so if you want to do $30 worth of gifts for children, for example, you can take that down, put down on that that line item, uh, on the piece of paper, your name, and then we'll know that you're going to be responsible for that. Please bring those here, at least at the very latest, by the 20th, but we would love to have them earlier than that. On the afternoon of the 20th, we'll put all of those together, and we're going to deliver them on the 21st. So please make sure they're here in time for us for sure to sort them out on the 20th, and then we'll deliver all of those Christmas hampers uh, on the 21st. It's a neat relationship we have with the schools. I like it when uh, Kathy Johnson is the is the uh, administrative assistant at Marlboro School just down the street here. And when I call her and say, hi, this is Kelly, she knows exactly who I am and exactly what we're doing. And uh, it's exciting that uh, that's the case, and we'll have a chance to bless these families. It is indeed that time of year when things are Uh, just different for all of us. We start thinking about different things, reflecting on different things. Like, for example, this could happen to you. At least it could happen to him. This whole multimedia thing is going to impact Christmas somehow. Can you imagine how it's going to slow him down if he has to answer 200 million Facebook messages? That's a bunch. Dear Santa, I've been very good for the last week or so. Let's just focus on that. That's probably your comment to him. What about this? Hi, I'm Al, and I've been hooked on Christmas trees my whole life. Hi, Al. Those of you who have those difficulties, those addictive personalities, well, join the club. There's a few others out there. Ow, my aching back. I'm telling you, I'm getting too old for this job. (laughs) You'd think he was pulling the sleigh. (laughs) Reindeers... Reindeer have an attitude sometimes, I think. And then finally this one. Why are Dasher and Dancer always taking coffee breaks? They're my Starbucks. Huh? Huh? That was a Kelly joke, okay? I didn't draw that one up, but I could have, okay? Okay, well, it is that time of season. Things are different for us. We'll see how things go. We'll hope that he just focuses on your last week or so. I want you to look ahead with me for a moment to, uh, oh, 31 years into the future to about 2046 or so. In 2046, we will celebrate the 140th anniversary of our church family. I will at that point be 88 years old. I'm guessing I'm not going to be preaching every Sunday when I'm 88. I might be alive. I'm hoping that I'll still be alive. We'll have to see. Well, there is some cohesiveness to our story of 140 years or so in our church from 1906 to 2046. And it's interesting. Just think about this for a moment. Dave Bailey's sitting here. David's grandfather... In 1906 or so, along with a few others, started this church. I'm guessing that your father was probably a little boy then or something. Was he born by 1906? No? Okay. But very soon after, okay? Within a little little while, his dad was born. And so that church family began and had long existence, over 100 years now. But what's interesting is that David Bailey is still with us. There's a direct connection between David and those who started this church, and in fact, because those who started this church in 1906 continued to live, David remembers those people. Now, David, I don't know that you're going to be alive in 2046. What do you think? Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's a it's a vague possibility. Okay, we'll say that, but I'm guessing it's probably, probably not going to happen. As I said, I'm hoping that, I'll, that I might still be around in 2046, but we'll have to see about that. David, uh, I think his name, I don't think so. Okay, But there's this connection, nonetheless, between David and his past and the history of our church. The fact is, my point, is that 140 years isn't all that long. Like there will be a people alive in our church family in 2046 that will remember David Bailey and David Bailey remembers those who started this congregation in 1906. It's interesting that God works through that time. Well, now we find ourselves in in an interesting time and I think that times will get more interesting as times go on. It would... Be interesting to think that things will be better in 2046, but I'm not absolutely convinced. You just think about what happened since 1906 when we had one world war take place shortly after that, and then after that, not too long, another whole world war, and then there have been a bunch of wars since then that many of us can Remember? Some of us may have been part of. And we're just hoping that by 2046 there won't be a third, what we would call, world war. That one will not be pretty. There will be more technology that develops in the next 31 years. You just think about what's happened in the last 20. Where will it go in the next 31? Things that I can't begin to imagine as things change and our lives experience all that change. And so the years go by and they go by quickly and massive amounts of things take place. Well, God is in the whole story, of course. He is taking all of this somewhere and he is present. And I think we need to give him our support as we go on through this history and head toward what will be for us 140th anniversary. Now, why did I pick 140 years? Why that number? Well, here's the reason. We live in our own turbulent times, but we're not the only group of people who've ever gone through 140 years of relatively turbulent times. And so, in 587, 586 BC, Jerusalem was destroyed by the Babylonians and the people and the leaders were carried off into exile and there was a group of people that remained but the leaders and those who were running the country and those who were most uh, religiously significant in terms of the priests and all that they're carried off in exile that happens in 586 587 BC in 538 a group of returning Jews begins to rebuild the temple And so, after about 50 years or so, there are some people who start to make their way back. And we would say that in the midst of that kind of story, that God is part of the story, that He's doing something with them. Then, at about 516 BC, the temple is finished; it's completed. It's interesting that the people made sure that the temple gets rebuilt. The focus on worshiping God gets rebuilt before, really, they build anything else. And then it's about 445 or so BC when Nehemiah returns and started rebuilding the broken city and the nation. And so he specifically is in charge of rebuilding the walls. And he starts to do that. Well, what's interesting to me right now, this morning is that the whole thing actually takes 140 years. Like, you'll remember why the Jews went into exile to begin with. They go into exile because of their sinfulness. They're not really being what God wants them to be. We know that they had done some pretty atrocious things to the point where God says, I am sickened by you. I'm sickened by your behavior. You have become something utterly detestable to me. And so he takes them and sends them into exile. And then... You'd think that after all of that, things would begin to change rather quickly, that they would make some good decisions and, and get right back on road and, uh, on the road and be, uh, be on track and start being what God wants them to be. But it's 140 years before the city starts to get rebuilt with the coming back of Nehemiah from the time that the city is destroyed. It's absolutely obliterated in 587, 586. The walls don't get start to be rebuilt until 445. Why 140 years? Well, I don't think there's anything magic about that number. I think it has a lot more to do with they themselves and their readiness. In fact, I would say that clearly the Jews were not ready. Something had to happen. Changes needed to take place. There needed to be new attitudes, a new perspective. Something needed to be different about them if they're going to come back and be what God wants them to be. And they weren't there yet. Hence the story of Nehemiah. So I want you to turn in your Bibles to Nehemiah if you would. In the Pew Bibles it's on page 342. Okay, the book of Nehemiah, page 342 or in your own Bible of course, on your own page, whatever that might be. And then while you're turning there, you can watch this. Are you guys happy? Oh, that's awesome. we go. well, we've got a prayer, what are we gonna do? Put everything down. We're gonna put God right in front of us, okay? Father in heaven, we thank you for our day. We thank you for your son. And the sacrifice that you made for you, please open our hearts today. And so the joy of the Lord is your strength. Alright. Do you guys can remember a little bit about Jeremiah? He went to Jerusalem to build the wall so everybody would be safe. Yes. Yes. Did he go ahead and build the walls? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that they got sword and went in and then I mean, you've got a sword in one hand, and you're looking out for these bullets that are wanting to stop you. And then you've got to build this wall with the other hand. Do you think that was hard? Yeah. Do yeah. yeah. you think yeah. you prayed a lot? Yeah. yeah. Like a thousand times. Like a thousand times? All right. Yeah. Okay, let's start building our wall. So you have to find the verse... Words and put them in order. So, Nehemiah told them that they did this through the joy of the Lord. Do you know how long it took them to build the wall? Uh, um, uh, 47 days? No, No. 52. Yay! 52. 52 days. Yeah, they had a big celebration. So they had a big celebration? Yeah. They did, yeah. yeah. Like the mm-hmm. best celebration ever. What do you say is it again. Even better than a birthday party. <laughs> and, well, <laughs> they had a party, yeah. They had a big party. <laughs> the joy of the Lord is my strength. Can you guys all say that? <laughs> So the story is interesting how many days did it take to be rebuild the wall 52 how many years did it take before they were ready to rebuild the wall 140 i don't think that the problem was they didn't have enough people to rebuild the wall i don't think the problem was they didn't have enough equipment the problem wasn't they didn't have enough supplies or anything else 140 years, it takes them to prepare for the event, 52 days to actually build it. And the reason why, of course, is because they just weren't ready. And so there are some things that start out the book of Nehemiah that show just what has taken place in terms of them actually being ready now to do something like rebuild this wall. Look at chapter 1, verse 1 with me. It says, The words of Nehemiah, son of Hakaliah, In the month of Kislev, in the 20th year, which, by the way, is the 20th year of the reign of the king of Persia, while I was in the citadel of Susa, Hanani, one of my brothers, came from Judah and some other men, and I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that survived the exile and also about Jerusalem. And they said to me, those who survived the exile and are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down, and its gates have been burned with fire. When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. Then I said, O Lord, God of heaven, the great and awesome God, who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and obey his commands, let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer your servant is praying before you. Uh, before you day and night for your servants, the people of Israel. I confess the sins we Israelites, including myself and my father's house, have committed against you. We've acted very wickedly toward you. We have not obeyed the commands, decrees, and laws you gave your servant Moses. Remember the instruction you gave your servant Moses, saying, if you're unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and obey my commands, then even if your exiled people are at the farthest horizon." I will gather them from there and bring them to the place I have chosen as a dwelling for my name. They are your servants and your people whom you redeemed by your great strength and your mighty hand. O Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of this servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight in revering your name. Give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man. I was cupbearer to the king. And when he says this man, he's referring to the king. Because he has the intention of going before the king and asking for a leave of absence. He wants to go back to Jerusalem and rebuild the walls and rebuild the city. But Nehemiah had to be prepared, something had to happen in his heart. In fact, he had to be, in one sense, representative of a whole nation that had to be prepared and ready for God to do finally something with them and bring them completely back from exile and rebuild not just the walls and not just a city, but an entire nation and an entire people. Things had to be put in place in their hearts. Now, I just read this text. You tell me, what are the kind of things that you read here that indicate that Nehemiah and maybe the people that he's going to take with him and that he's going to visit in Jerusalem might be now ready for God after 140 years to finally completely redeem them and bring them completely out of exile and rebuild the city. What are they? What do you see as attitudes or actions, perspectives on the part of Nehemiah that say, we're ready? What would you say? They confess their sins specifically. says they did. There's repentance. Repentance is specifically mentioned as something that we repent of our sins. What else do you see? What shows that they're ready? Sorry, I didn't hear that. Asking for his help, sure. And what do we call it when we talk to God and ask for his help? Prayer. Absolutely. They're asking for God's help. They know they can't do it themselves. They ask for God and they pray. What else do they do? Fasting. There's fasting that goes on. So they're prayerful. They're fasting. They're confessing. Asking God for help. Repenting. And then what is Nehemiah going to do when all of this, like he mentions this prayer, and then at the end he says, and God be with me as I go before this man. What's he got on his mind? What's he going to do? What's that? Yeah, absolutely. He's going to do what God wants him to do. And he's headed back to Jerusalem to actually take some action towards seeing things be completely different. And my sense is that before this, people just weren't ready. I'm not sure Nehemiah was ready. But there comes a point in the history of God's people here, after 140 years, when Nehemiah himself is saying, this is enough. How do we know that his heart was broken? He wept. It says that Nehemiah wept. When he hears what's going on in the city of Jerusalem, that the walls are still down, that the city is not what it's supposed to be. And so this morning I'm going to lay some foundation stones for the building of this wall. And I I think this tells us the kinds of things that God wants in his people as he prepares to do something among them. And the first we just saw, tragedy related to God's place in the world and in this case specifically with his people, should be met with prayer, fasting, confession, repentance, and action. And notice that action is last. You know, sometimes in, in the church we, we think, well, you know, we've got difficulties, we need to get things to be different, and so let's act. And all the while I think God is thinking, no, don't act, pray. Don't act, Confess. Don't act. Repent. I want your hearts to be different before any action takes place whatsoever. And so I was encouraged when we were at the elders and staff retreat a few weeks ago and we talked specifically about how we as a people need to be praying. And you're going to hear as the new year unfolds about some opportunities that we have to pray together and for God to bless us through those prayers. And so before action takes place, we need to have our hearts maybe melted by God and to pray. We won't look at all the instances, by the way, in the book of Nehemiah this morning where every time he faces a circumstance that's difficult, he first prays. If someone comes and says, no, we're not going to let you build the walls, he prays. If the people start to rebel and say, we're kind of tired of this, he prays. If there's any kind of struggle whatsoever, Nehemiah finds himself on his knees praying before God. And when we face troubling times, and in fact we are facing troubling times, we too need to find ourselves on our knees and allow God to put things in order. Acting first is foolish. Praying first, confessing first, fasting first, and then eventually acting as God blesses us is wise. Now I want you to turn to Nehemiah chapter 7. In Nehemiah chapter 7, you'll notice that verse 73, the very last verse of the chapter, it, it almost looks like, and especially this is in the NIV, it almost looks like it's part of chapter 8. Right at the end of the chapter, you'll see these words, as this fascinating circumstance takes place in the life of the community. It says, when the seventh month came and the Israelites had settled in their towns, all the people assembled as one man in the square before the water gate. They told Ezra the scribe to bring out the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded for Israel. And this is interesting, by the way, they don't all have a book of the law of Moses. They're not all reading their Bibles every day. There's not a focus here on the part of the people on God's word. So on the first day of the seventh month, Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, which was made up of men and women and all who were able to understand. He read it aloud from daybreak till noon as he faced the square before the water gate in the presence of the men, women, and others who could understand. And all the people listened attentively to the book of the law. Ezra the scribe stood on a high wooden platform. You can just imagine this happening. He stands on a high wooden platform built for the occasion. Beside him on his right stood Mattathiah, Shema, Ananiah, Uriah, and several other people whose last names probably end in Aya. Verse 5, Ezra opened the book. All the people could see him because he was standing above them. And as he opened it, the people all stood up. So he starts to read from scripture and all the people just stand up because he's going to read from the book of law. Ezra, verse 6, Ezra praised the Lord, the great God, and all the people lifted their hands and responded, Amen, Amen. Then they bowed down and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. The Levites, Jeshua, Bani, Sherebiah, Jamin, and several others, instructed the people in the law while the people were standing there. They read from the book of the law of God, making it clear and giving the meaning so that the people could understand what was being read. Then Nehemiah the governor, Ezra the priest and scribe, and the Levites who were instructing the people said to them all, This day is sacred to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people had been weeping as they listened to the words of the law. Do you hear that? The people are all weeping as Ezra reads the law. Then Nehemiah said, go and enjoy choice food and sweet drinks and send some to those who have nothing prepared. This day is sacred to our God. And then watch this line. Do not grieve for the joy of the Lord is our strength. And I'm not sure they were ready for that 139 years into their sojourn. But 140 years in, they're ready. And the Levites calmed all the people, saying, Be still, for this is a sacred day. Do not grieve. Then all the people went away to eat and to drink, to send portions of food and to celebrate with great joy, because they now understood the words that had been made known to them. They had not even understood the law before, but now it's been made known to them, and they understand, and they begin to rejoice. And the point is, is that when a people has lived now in exile for so long and are now ready, one of the features that shows that they're ready is that they're ready to listen to the word of God. And so the second point here, there must always be, but even more at times of distress, a return to God's word and a response of obedience. And, and the fact is, church, that's what we constantly need. We face times right now which are difficult, They are not easy. I could give you a whole list of things that are challenges to our faith. Challenges to our existence even as a church. And who knows what it's going to be like in 2046. And so we need to be a people who goes back and returns to God's word. And also has in ourselves a response of obedience. So I was encouraged in class this morning, Kevin Clark was talking about how as we're moving into the new year, he's trying to start a group that's going to be reading through the Bible together, maybe doing this online even, together, and talking about the things that they read together in reading the Bible. We need things like that. We need to focus on the word. God wanted his people to be ready, and after 140 years, they were. Now I want you to turn to Nehemiah 13. And this is just as fascinating to me as the rest of the things that are done by the people to show that they are ready. I want you to look at verse 6. But while all this was going on, I was not in Jerusalem. For in the 32nd year of Artaxerxes, (coughs) king of Babylon, I had returned to the king. Sometime later, I asked his permission and came back to Jerusalem. So what happens is that Nehemiah is in the city, but he has to leave. So he leaves and goes to Persia for a while, and then he comes back. Here I learned, when he comes back, about the evil thing Eliashab had done in providing Tobiah a room in the courts of the house of God. I was greatly displeased, and through all Tobiah's household goods, out of the room. I gave orders to purify the rooms and then I put back into them the equipment of the house of God with the grain offerings and the incense. And the point is is that soon as Nehemiah left and went back to Persia they took all of the godly stuff out of the rooms in the temple and replaced it with personal things. Personal wares that they could sell. Tobiah had done this Nehemiah has to come back and throw him out. Now look at verse 10. I also learned that the portions assigned to the Levites had not been given to them, and that all the Levites heads and singers responsible of the service had gone back to their own fields. And so the Levites who were supposed to be receiving from the people the things that they needed have to go back farming, because nobody's taking care of them the way that God's word had told them to do so. Look at verse 15. In those days I saw men in Judah treading wine presses on the Sabbath and bringing in grain and loaded it on donkeys together with wine and grapes and figs and all the kinds of loads. And they were bringing all this into Jerusalem on the Sabbath. And the law specifically says that's not what they're to do. Look at verse 18. Didn't your fa- forefathers do the same things so that our God brought all this calamity upon us and upon this city, now you're stirring up more wrath against Israel by desecrating the Sabbath? It took 140 years for God to straighten them out, and Nehemiah leaves for a few days, and they're already back doing what God specifically had punished them for doing. Then look at verse 23. Moreover, in those days I saw men of Judah who had married women from Ashdod, Ammon, and Moab. Half their children spoke the language of Ashdod or the language of the other peoples and did not know how to speak the language of Judah. They've lost their own language. Their children aren't being brought up in the faith. And again, this happens after so long and so much of what has happened And in just a short time, they're back going in the same direction again. And the point is simply this. We can't rest. We just can't rest. If we think for a moment we've got it all together and everything's good, it's at that moment that we'll begin to do the very things that God has asked us not to do. And so there is a certain vigilance. A certain... Diligence that needs to be ours when it comes to faith. I don't know what things will be like in 2046. But I know what the possibilities are if God's people are not vigilant and aren't committed and aren't diligent about being faithful to him. And so the things that we've talked about earlier, confession and repentance and prayer and fasting and focus and acting in response to all those things, that's where we've got to be. And I hope in your own life you are. Let me encourage you, by the way, like I've been kind of, you may have noticed as I've been doing this lately, saying to you, hey, on Sunday afternoon, read this. I just think it's so crucial we get into the word of God. This afternoon, read this. If you have time, make time. Read Ezra and Nehemiah. Read through First and Second Chronicles. Get a picture for what God was trying to do among his people at this point in their history. We've been talking about this upper story of God working in all of history to get something done. But it's comprised of all these little lower stories that are all sometimes going in the direction God wants us to go and sometimes not. What's your lower story? And do you understand the upper story? And being acquainted with Scripture is going to help you do that. I don't know what the next 31 years will be like. But we have the opportunity to make the end of our 140 fantastic years as we work together in the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, I do pray that you will bless us in the coming years. By the time I'm an old man, God, by the time I'm 88 years old, I hope I can look back and see how we together as a people have moved forward in you and have accomplished your will. I pray that through our own confession and through receiving your grace and forgiveness through our prayer and fasting and you answering our requests of you. Through the relationship that we have with you, we pray, God, that all of this would work so that the story you're trying to carry out among us will indeed reach an end that truly honors you. Help us in some figurative way to build our walls and build our city, not to hem ourselves in but simply as a testimony to who you are. We pray that this would be a, a sign for the world that you're working among us. We pray these things through Jesus. Amen.